Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. Last week, we glanced at the current movie award season, notably some late arrivals over summer. I have to say this focus on the Academy Awards is more out of habit these days than any real building excitement. Like the rest of the world, certainly the television audience, I'm starting to lose interest in Oscar. It's hard not to ask the question, what are these things even for? Ben-Hur has been named best picture by newspaper and magazine critics in every city in the world in which it has played, including the New York Times, the Boston Daily Record, the Philadelphia Inquirer, the Chicago Daily Tribune, the Los Angeles Examiner, the London Daily Telegraph. When the Oscars were first invented, their purpose was simple, to add a bit of class to what was mostly a commercial racket. Sure, the public loved the movies, but Hollywood wanted more than that. They wanted to be respected. Prizes were handed out to the movies best and brightest, though since the handers out were people in the business, the prizes often went to Hollywood's big guns, like Cecil B. DeMille. You know, one of the reasons we made The Greatest Show on Earth is because the world needs laughter today. (laughs) That kind of laughter. But the real circus story... It's more than laughter. In Steven Spielberg's The Fablemans, young Sammy falls in love with the movies when he goes to see DeMille's famously schlocky Oscar winner, The Greatest Show on Earth. It was everything the Academy Awards seemed to love. It was huge. It had stars. It had family values. It had a train crash and a happy ending. Those were the days. My mom said that you're homeless. Is that true? No, I'm not homeless. I'm just... Houseless. Not the same thing, right? No. Today, well, it's hard to know what's going on. There's every possibility that 2023's winner will be plucked from the Cahiers du Cinema Critics' Choice, little films that TV audiences have never heard of. It may be an oddball genre piece like Batman pastiche Birdman, Rubber Monster revival The Shape of Water, or French silent movie oddity The Artist. Actually, in the case of the artist, I do know why it was included, even if I was as bemused as everyone else when it actually won back in 2012. One thing the Academy Awards love is films about themselves, films about well-known movies and movie stars, and worse, films about the magic of the movies themselves. You stop making movies, it'll break your mother's heart. I don't know what to do anymore. You do what your heart says you have to. Well, this year is no exception. Blonde, Elvis, Babylon, The Fablemans, Empire of Light and more. They may not all win. The general public isn't quite as smitten by movies about movies as Hollywood producers think. But there was no question they'd be in consideration. 
The one surprise omission was Jordan Peele's movie horror mashup, Nope. Did you know that the very first assembly of photographs to create a motion picture was a two-second clip of a black man on a horse? And that man is my great-great-grandfather. Great. There's another great-grandfather. Okay, there are several people in Hollywood at the moment who aren't remotely surprised by Nope's lack of support, along with Viola Davis's African epic The Woman King and civil rights drama Till. All three failed to make the cut, reviving the hashtag Oscars So White, which is hard to deny. My king, the Europeans wish to conquer us. They will not stop until the whole of Africa is theirs. We must fight back for our people. Adding insult to injury was the last-minute inclusion of unknown, in Hollywood at any rate, English actress Andrea Riseborough, who bypassed the usual Hollywood junkets and schmooze fests to be nominated for Best Actress in a tiny movie called To Leslie. I mean, when actors start expecting to win awards purely on merit, where would it all end? Critically acclaimed Australian actor Kirk Lazarus underwent a controversial procedure in order to play the platoon's African-American sergeant. I know who I am. I'm a dude playing a dude disguised as another dude. It begs another question. Are the Oscars actually about rewarding acting skill? And how do you judge that anyway? In the past, awards often went to make-up jobs as much as performances. In fact, sometimes you can barely see the actor under the prosthetics. Ah, good afternoon, sir, and how are we today? Better. Better? Better get a bucket. I'm going to throw up. A Gaston, a bucket for monsieur. Stunt performances, buttering up Hollywood, personal popularity. Does your candidate do good talk show? Sometimes Oscars are just a consolation prize for missing out over the years with far better performances. I take full responsibility. Really? Really, yes, sir. It is the reason I sit in this chair. I mean, I love Gary Oldman as much as the next man, but as Winston Churchill, he wasn't even the best Churchill that year. You get Oscars for all sorts of reasons, many of them sheer dumb luck, and most of all, making the industry feel good about itself, which is why so many small, worthy films have succeeded recently. Are you excited to announce Best Picture? And the Oscar goes to... Okay, Coda. (laughs) Is that applause or is that the sound of Hollywood slapping itself on the back? But as I said at the start, does it really matter? Why can't we just make up our own minds about what was good last year? As the man said, all anyone needs to know about awards is that Mozart never won one. How good is he, this Mozart? He's remarkable. He's an unprincipled, spoiled, conceited brat. I'm a vulgar man. But I assure you, my music is not. Well, this week, three films whose reputation precedes them. There's an Australasian co-production of eight stories about the struggles of First Nations people. We are still here. Gimmicky horror king M. Night Shyamalan returns with Knock at the Cabin. And first, a popular favourite for awards this year, The Whale. You don't stay in touch with Mom? She really only tells me things about you. Why? Because that's all I want to know about. 
Darren Aronofsky, who directed The Whale based on a play by Samuel D. Hunter, comes with a very distinctive track record. His best-known film is the nightmare ballet portrait Black Swan, and many of his others are equally dark and introspective. Mother, The Wrestler, Requiem for a Dream, and Noah. I see how hard this was for you. Remember, Noah, he chose you for a reason. the end of everything. By contrast, star Brendan Fraser seems to be the nicest man in movies. He's best known for playing heroic but not too bright action heroes, the sort of role that's been taken over by Chris Pratt and Dwayne Johnson. Fraser occasionally aimed higher, though. He was terrific in Gods and Monsters opposite Sir Ian McKellen. But then he seemed to vanish. Until now. I need to know that she's going to have a decent life where she cares about people and that she's going to be okay. The big story about The Whale isn't the film, it's about Brendan himself. Not only did he put on all those rubber pounds, the makeup work is astonishing, but he doesn't hold back on all the emotional weight either, playing the obese and reclusive Charlie. Brendan bursts into tears at the drop of a hat, not just in the film, but on talk shows and famously at the Cannes Film Festival, where he got a standing ovation for six minutes. I know these rules can feel constraining. But remember, the point of this course is to learn how to write clearly and persuasively. Think about that. Think about the truth of your argument. Brendan's Charlie is a creative writing teacher. He does it online, making sure to turn off the camera on his computer. The rest of the time he sits around in his cabin, being looked after by best friend Liz, played very well by Hong Chao. But one day, you can tell this is based on a stage play, he's visited by his long-estranged daughter, Ellie. You're an amazing person, Ellie. I couldn't ask for a more incredible daughter. Are you actually trying to parent me right now? Who would want me to be a part of their life? In another example of stunt casting, the prickly, self-centred Ellie is played by likeable Sadie Sink, who endeared herself to the world as Max in TV series Stranger Things. Not only did Max save the world, but she did it by reviving the career of Kate Bush. The rather different Ellie is only here for what she can get from her bloated father. Though she does address, if you'll pardon the expression, the elephant in the room. Where'd you gain all that weight? Someone close to me passed away, and it had an effect on me. You haven't seen her since she was eight years old, and you're going to reconnect with her? Ellie seethes over how she was abandoned by Dad when he left home for a new boyfriend. When Charlie's boyfriend, Nurse Liz's brother in fact, died for the sort of pointed ironic reason that we associate with bad theatre, he turns to pizzas. Liz is deeply suspicious of Ellie and furious that Charlie isn't. Sorry. I don't like this. This isn't a good idea. I'm sorry. You say you're sorry one more time, I will shove a knife right into you, I swear to God. Go ahead. What's it going to do? My internal organs are two feet in at least. (laughs) But there is a little more to the whale than family guilt and a weight issue, that being the result of a previous knock at the door about 20 minutes before Ellie arrives. See my note before about plot convenience and bad theatre. 
Thomas is a visiting missionary from a generic religious cult called New Life. These tracks are just the beginning. There's so much more in the Bible that we can't... I've read the Bible. Really? Sure. A couple times. Did you like it? I thought it was devastating. God creates us, expels us from paradise. We wander around for thousands of years, killing each other, before he comes back and saves 144,000 of us. Meanwhile, seven and a half billion of us fall into hell. Yeah. That's not really how I interpret it. Now, there are reasons why Charlie's not buying anything New Life is selling. Meanwhile, because Ellie and missionary Thomas arrived at roughly the same time, he finds himself victim to her manipulating ways. Do you find me attractive? Because I'm not attracted to you at all. Just so you know. I'm not trying to be mean or anything. I just don't think you're very good looking or interesting or intelligent. There are secrets and lies, not to mention questions about Charlie's eventual fate. Though, no spoilers here, but the looming sense of tragedy that Darren Aronofsky is incapable of not laying all over his films is a pretty good indication why The Whale isn't billed as feel-good romp of the year. Why do you suddenly need to see her so bad? Why now? Yes. that she's forgotten what an amazing person she is. It is an unabashed tearjerker, the sort that critics are generally a bit sniffy about. But all over the world, Brendan Fraser is doing the business very efficiently, mostly because he's not only a lovely guy, but because he recognises this is the role of his life, and he gives the whale 110% to the final handkerchief. I need to know that I have done one thing right with my life. No surprise that Fraser and Hong Chow are both up for Oscars next month, though I was more taken by the less obvious performance by Sadie Sink. All through the movie, she keeps you wondering, is Charlie right about her or terribly wrong? It's a fine line, but as Kate Bush would say, she keeps running up that hill. Do you ever get the feeling people are incapable of not caring? In 2017, a terrific little movie came out called Waru. Eight stories from mostly first-time Maori women directors were each told in one shot and linked by the theme of a tragic death. The next film, Vi, with women directors from all over the Pacific, was almost as good. And Kainga, made by Asian Kiwi filmmakers this time, made its debut at last year's film festival, as did another portmanteau film from ten indigenous filmmakers from both New Zealand and Australia. It's called We Are Still Here. Unlike Waru, We Are Still Here doesn't have the focus that one shot and possibly a stronger script editor gives a film. There are eight stories here, but we often intercut between them with mixed results. What you gain by all those suspenseful cliffhangers, you lose as you try and follow some quite different stories. 
Ita, kia moe pākeha ahau. Kua pāhua tia e ia te whenua nei. The running theme is the 250th anniversary of Captain Cook's first landfall here, and each story offers very different perspectives on two and a half centuries of colonialism. The first is the most ambitious. A pre-European mother and daughter fish a giant 18th century tall ship out of the ocean. Through semi-animation, the story crosses centuries before its resolution. Another story is set in the war-torn Uruweras, where mother and father struggle with their willful daughter over the best way to deal with the white invaders, war or peace. And out in the Alice Springs desert, a lost European farmer asks the local tribe for help and gets more than he bargained for. Family. Least expected in this collection is a story set in 2274, and it seems that 500 years after James Cook visited, the same issues are tackled as badly as before. We're Still Here is clearly the work of eight separate production teams. Each story looks and feels quite different. For more? You want some medicine? In exchange for that thing around your neck. Some are mythic, some are clearly angry and political. And like Australia's and New Zealand's often controversial national days, the feelings generated depend very much on what side of the fence you live. Just hold up there, please. Just wait there, mate. Mate, this is the Northern Territory. We've got rules here. Predictably, there's one story set in 1981, the divisive Springbok tour protests, mostly told inside a police paddy wagon and later a jail. But there's an interesting angle. The point of view is a young, confused Australian man who actually came here to find his absentee Maori father. You just had to get involved, eh? He's one of us. <laughs> so save your divide and conquer bullshit for your queen. The story that's caught most attention is Uniform, made by a Samoan production team. Set in Gallipoli 1917, it's about a young Samoan soldier left alone in the trenches who makes friends with a young Turkish soldier. You did this. They swap uniforms for fun, and only when they're separated do they realise how similar two people from the opposite sides of the world can look. People only look at the uniform. Is there an allegory here? Their experiences, their reasons for being there are quite different. But in a way, the fact that it's a small human story is why it appeals just as much as a bigger, more political one.
Many years ago, certainly long before many of the people I saw knock at the cabin with were born, an unknown director made one of the best horror films of the year. It was called The Sixth Sense, and since then, writer-director M. Night Shyamalan has been mostly dumping on its memory. We're not here to hurt you, but you have to stay here in the cabin with us. Families throughout history have been chosen to make this decision. Your family must choose to willingly sacrifice one of the three of you to prevent the apocalypse. The Sixth Sense famously had one of the great switcheroo endings that literally nobody saw coming. So Shyamalan felt he had to try and do it again. And again. And nothing ruins a surprise ending like the whole audience expecting it. And the trouble with the big switches in signs, the village, the horrible happening, look out for the trees, and Lady in the Water, was they weren't a patch on the original. We're not sacrificing anyone. For every no you give us, hundreds of thousands of people are going to die. So every couple of years, another film, another disappointment. I mean, they're quite well made. The sound is always particularly good, but they're generally so stupid. Stupid and earnest. Come in, knock at the cabin. Unlike most of Shyamalan's films, this one is based on a book by someone else with a rather better title, The Cabin at the End of the World. Knock at the cabin simply means they can put a lot of scary knocks all through the trailer. At the start of the film, angelic kid Wen meets a sinister stranger, played by Dave Bautista. My name's Leonard. It's nice to meet you, Wen. I suppose I'm here to make friends with you. And your dad's too. Former wrestler Dave is best known, in my case only known, playing the lunkhead guardian in Guardians of the Galaxy. But he clearly has acting aspirations. Hence his tendency to wear glasses in most of his roles now. And in Knock at the Cabin, he takes the lion's share of the exposition. But my heart is broken. Why is it broken? Because of what I have to do today. Well, I say exposition. After several of his paragraph-long explanations to young Wen and her two dads, Eric and Andrew, I was left more bewildered than before. Why does he have to knock so loud at the door if, as he claims, he means the household no harm? And who are the other three with him, including Ron Weasley himself, Rupert Grint? You see, the four of us have a very important job to do. In fact, it might be the most important job in the history of the world. Well, before we launch into why exactly these four sinister people have barged into the cabin, we keep flashing back to the birth of young Wen and her adoption by Eric and Andrew, to a fight in a barn, to them cheerfully driving to the cabin. The landlord didn't call it the cabin at the end of the world, by the way. Are we going to sing along? Yes, of course! Yeah. 
I think M. Night Shyamalan thinks I'm keener on the disco stylings of Casey and the Sunshine Band than I am, but no matter. Let's get back to some exposition. Leonard, David Batista, seems more interested in whetting our appetite than actually exposing anything. He keeps stressing how important it all is, despite what Ron Weasley's wearing. I would watch the world die a hundred times over before having... Christ! Waste of time. They're never going to choose to do this. And I don't blame them. Leonard and the other three take time out, stop taking time out for goodness sake, to explain that they're ordinary people who met in extraordinary circumstances. Their one intention, it seems, is to prevent the apocalypse. Could they be the four horsemen we're meant to ask? The four of us are here to prevent the apocalypse. Your family has been chosen to make a horrible decision. Now, I don't know about you, but my least favourite thing in a horror film, apart from being occasionally woken up by loud noises, is the unattributed prophecy. The legend tells you must fulfil your destiny. In this case, you have to choose. If you don't, the world will end. Really? Says who? We were called and are united by a common vision, which has now become a command that we cannot ignore. Says never you mind, needless to say. And every time Dave Batista says any more, it makes it worse. Families throughout history have chosen, he Dave-splains. This, of course, is the thought process of every conspiracy loopy ever. And the fact that Knock at the Cabin pretends to take it seriously is the second worst thing about the film. If you fail to choose, the world will end. The worst thing about it, of course, is the title. Nobody knocks at a cabin. You knock at the cabin door, surely. You could certainly knock a film called Knock at the Cabin. I've just done it. But knocking at a cabin is a pointless exercise. OK, perhaps it isn't such a bad title after all. So, having avoided the apocalypse by the skin of our teeth, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.